You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Christian Maitre, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, WICB news correspondent Caroline Glass and co-social media coordinator Emma Kirsting break down the IC Office of Student Engagement's Women's Leadership Series. News director Himadri Saith covers the History Department's special event on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And correspondent Michael Memis talks to Isaac Schneider from Ithaca College, Hillel, about recent incidents of anti-Semitism on campus. But first, we have Beck Legato and Emma Kirsting with this week's Community Beat, and George Christopher with this week's Local Politics Beat. The Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Program officially has been launched in Ithaca as announced by Travis Brooks, who worked as the Deputy Director at the Greater Ithaca Activity Center, also known as the GIAC. The lead program, founded in Seattle in 2011, allows officers to redirect individuals engaging in misdemeanor crimes to outlets of community services, as opposed to allowing them to face incarceration. Ithaca's lead program follows successful models that have been catered to fit the local needs of the community. The LEAD program will assist in breaking down barriers between police, government, and community services to address the root causes of crimes related to poverty, addiction, and mental health crises. One of Trumansburg's oldest businesses, the liquor store located at 55 Main Street, has changed owners for only the fourth time in nearly 100 years of business. Trumansburg Liquor Store was purchased in August of 2021 by Trumansburg native Greg Van Ness, who plans to make some small changes to the store that will bring new products and experiences to customers, while at the same time preserving the selection of staples and comfortable atmosphere longtime customers have come to expect. Tompkins County Human Services Coalition, or the HSC, are asking for input from renters in the area in a third anonymous survey. The first feedback survey conducted in July of 2020 was related to COVID-19 and its impact on economic shutdown and subsequent necessary housing relief. The second survey focused more on quantifying issues renters have faced in a variety of topics, including job loss and instability, some of it related to the ongoing pandemic. Following the Tenant Safe Harbor Act, or New York State's eviction moratorium ended, evictions began again with few further protections for tenants who can't pay their rent. The Tompkins County Health Department shared an update this past week regarding New York State masking guidance for P-12 schools. This updated guidance follows Governor Kathy Hochul's announcement on Sunday, February 27th, that the mask requirement in schools would end effective Wednesday, March 2nd. This change is based on a decrease in positive cases and hospitalizations, an increase in vaccination rates, and a low rate of pediatric hospitalizations across the state. The Tompkins County Health Department is currently looking for information regarding the vaccination status of a black cat to rule out the risk of rabies following a biting incident that took place this past Thursday on North Tiger Street. The cat has been described as friendly and a black, lean, short-haired cat of a small to medium size with a collar on. This cat is typically seen between Lynn and North Tiger Streets and East Marshall to East Tompkins Street. 
TCHD are trying to verify the cat's vaccination status and help following this incident so rabies infection risk can be ruled out. Anyone with information can reach out to the Tompkins County Environmental Health Division at 607-274-6688. Trumansburg Deputy Mayor Ben Carver is considering changing the EMS model to be a nonprofit. Carver made a general case in a presentation on February 24th that EMS services have become too expensive to be supported by the confined financial and human resources of a sparsely populated municipality. A bill was passed through the state legislature and signed by Governor Kathy Hochul in January, establishing a task force to study challenges faced by rural ambulance companies. The 12-member task force will deliver recommendations to the state legislature on how to better the state's EMS network for rural communities. For Beck Legato, I'm Emma Kirsting. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. Another Republican has jumped into the race for New York's 22nd Congressional District. According to the Ithaca Voice, Brandon Williams of Cayuga County has announced his campaign. Williams is an entrepreneur currently working for a California software company and operates a family orchard. Williams is the third Republican to jump into the race after Onondaga's Timothy Coe and Tompkins' Mike Siegler. Coe is a health care worker, while Siegler represents the 6th district in the county legislature. Siegler's district voted for Joe Biden in 2020 by over 30 points. Despite that, Siegler was re-elected in 2021, running unopposed. New York's prominent third parties have announced endorsements in both state and local races. According to the Ithaca Voice, the Working Families Party has endorsed Leah Webb for State Senate and Anna Kellis for State Assembly. Both Webb and Kellis are running in heavily Democratic seats, including Ithaca. Meanwhile, Spectrum News reports that the Conservative Party of New York has endorsed Lee Zeldin for governor. Zeldin, a Long Island congressman, has been one of the leading Republican candidates racking up endorsements from prominent state party leaders. Democrats and Republicans have received support from the WFP and the Conservative Party, respectively, through New York's fusion voting system. This system allows candidates to appear on the ballot multiple times for different parties. While the WFP and the Conservative parties typically endorse members of the two major parties, they have occasionally run candidates of their own. Meanwhile, Jermani Williams has announced his choice for lieutenant governor. According to the Associated Press, Williams has endorsed activist Anna Maria Aquila, the New York Democratic Party nominates the lieutenant governor in a separate statewide Democratic primary. The governor and lieutenant governor candidates then run on the same ticket in November. Aquila has also received the support of the Working Families Party, which has also endorsed Williams. Keep up with local politics every Sunday at 7 p.m. on 91.7 WICB. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Christian Matry. In celebration of Women's History Month, Ithaca College's Office of Student Engagement is organizing a new series of events throughout the month aimed at reminding the women on campus how amazing they are and teaching some leadership skills along the way. WICB News correspondent Caroline Glass and Emma Kirsting talked to Michael Lenhart, director of the Office of Student Engagement, to learn more about the events. March is Women's History Month, and through the Office of Student Engagement, a Women Leaders series is offering courses until the 31st to celebrate women on campus and teach leadership skills. 
Events are wide-ranging, from building networking skills to self-care. Event titles include College Women Are Stressed Out and Totally Exhausted, a binge-worthy laugh-and-learn comedy special, What Are You Calling Toxic? Creating and Maintaining Friendships, and Closing the Gender Pay Gap, an introduction to salary negotiation. Michelle Lenhart. I am the director of the Office of Student Engagement, but I go by Mish. So I have been here since um, the fall of 2008. So what is that, like almost 14 years, 13 and a half years? Talked about the origin of the series, which started as just a trip for 40 students to travel to Seneca Falls for a day, to now include workshops on campus for any student interested. We had so much interest that so we started to offer a couple of other workshops to kind of complement that because people felt left out because they didn't get to go on the trip. Um, and then what we found was those were filling up right away. It's our 10th anniversary this year for the Women Leader Series and um, of reaching out to faculty and staff, local um, community members, alumna. It's, it's a bunch of different folks who are doing the presentations and uh, it's all volunteer. Everyone who's presenting is volunteering to do it, and people have wanted to do it, and people keep signing up for it. So we've we've said, okay, this is a, this is a hit, and kept kept it going. The Office of Student Engagement has five staff members and twelve student leadership consultants who are students at the college. The office helps manage over 150 student organizations and holds over 40 leadership workshops a semester through the Student Leadership Institute, or SLI, that any student on campus can attend. The Office of Student Engagement, we really help in three different ways. Um, we, I like to say we get students involved from jumpstart to fountain jump. <laughs> so um, we're really helping people to find their place and their people and get some leadership development experiences. So we help with every student organization on campus. We um, provide a lot of different leadership development trainings and we provide some service opportunities for people in the Leadership Scholar Program, for example. While the events held this month are under the name Women Leadership Series, senior Haley Aldrich, a student leadership consultant on the planning team for the series, said all workshops are open to anyone. The Women Leader Series is open to anybody of all genders. So I hope that everybody can take a lot away from it. For female identifying individuals, I hope that they can be compassionate towards themselves and use this as a starting point to either learn or unlearn positive or negative behaviors that have been forced upon them because of their identity, have an understanding of what those are, and then feel empowered to make their own decisions about what they want to do. And for, you know, everybody else, I hope that they come into these workshops with an open mind and really are able to lead with a sense of empathy and understand what it's like for female identifying individuals and some of the struggles that they go through that they may have never had to consider before. Haley said she has grown as a leader on campus through her four years at the college and said she wants this series to offer opportunities for people to connect with each other and learn leadership skills. This is kind of a full circle moment for me just because it's my senior year so I'm reflecting on a lot but a lot of it came from just like my own personal drive. Every single kind of experience has showed me and reaffirmed time and time again the importance of being a good, strong communicator. And with that comes being an active listener and meeting people where they're at, making sure you understand you know, what their strengths are, their weaknesses are, where they might need some support, and the different ways that they'll communicate that to you. Um, and being able to fill those gaps and help them grow while you grow as a leader. I think I have always felt 
pulled to be that idea of an everything woman, a woman that has it all and tries to balance everything and is, you know, in several different spaces at the same time, but somehow finds a way to make it work. And sometimes that can get very draining and exhausting. And while I want to be a part of so many things, and that's just my own personal like volition that gets me involved. Um, I've learned the importance of prioritizing and making hard decisions. And I think sometimes as a woman, that can be seen as, oh, she's just being really picky or she's just being, you know, extra pushy and super opinionated. And we don't necessarily want that. Why isn't she making everything work? Um, when that comes more from a place of self-care and knowing that I only have so much to give. So I definitely feel that has influenced me in my leadership as a woman. Freshman Maisie Rosenthal signed up for multiple events over the month. She is also going on the day trip to visit the Women's Rights National Historic Park and Museum in Seneca Falls that started it all. I'm really excited because just like to hear from a bunch of different women about leadership, I feel like that's going to be really helpful for me to start gaining those skills now for my career in the future. And also, I've always just been like interested in female empowerment, so it seemed like a really cool opportunity. Maisie said her mom has always been a strong role model and leader for her and talked about what she thinks are qualities of a leader. She said she's excited to learn from the events this month and is most looking forward to the trip to Seneca Falls. My mom, so she kind of always taught my sister and I that we need to be independent and we need to be strong, stick up for ourselves and like speak for ourselves. So we've always grown up like that. And then I guess that's just what, how like I got drawn to the program. I would say like compassion, strength, talks in a very composed manner. I feel like those are all the qualities that like I'd look up to in a leader. Mish said that teaching leadership is important because... So what we found is that students are kind of thrown into leadership roles often and don't have necessarily the tools. We don't aspire to the philosophy that there are born leaders. We think that that anyone can lead, but you need to kind of hone those things. The Women in Communications and the Student Activities Board on Ithaca College campus held a screening of the movie Bombshell. The film is about women at Fox News who work to expose CEO Roger Ailes for sexual harassment. My name is Annalise Weingard. I am a sophomore speech therapist major, and I am the co-executive chair of the Student Activities Board. Annalise spoke on the value of watching this film and how the event came to be, highlighting female solidarity. So it just demonstrates like strength in numbers and having to stick up for each other, especially as a woman. You have to like watch out for each other, have each other's back. So it was a very powerful story about friendship and sticking together and speaking up for what's right. We definitely wanted to do something that had strong female leads. I proposed in figures because I thought that was awesome and it also kind of tied into Black History Month too. But we chose this movie because like it felt like a very current topic that people were talking about. It felt like a very relevant issue that needs to be like recognized and spoken about. Um, So we just thought it would be a great fit for the college and the students. It's very powerful to see women doing things that they're passionate about and like breaking stereotypes. And you don't really like recognize the value of those things. I feel like I didn't recognize the value of these things until I was in college and taking leadership positions myself. Um, And then I was seeing all the strong female role models in front of me. And I just like 
really respected them and really looked up to them. So I think it means a lot for younger girls who want to have the strong role models, but they might not at their age yet, or they might not like recognize the value of having the strong female role models. So I just think it's really powerful to see everything that we can do after being like silenced for so long. Mish said she's really proud of the series that is now celebrating its 10th anniversary. It is a lot of work and a lot of coordination and I definitely, it's a passion area of mine um, because no one is telling us we have to do this. This is just something that we really like and really want to be able to provide. There's so many aspects of what it means to be a woman and it's different to everybody that I think it's important to have several times and spaces to talk about all of those different aspects so that they can build off of one another. And that's one of the reasons why the theme for this year is what's your perspective is because, you know, everybody that identifies as female is a woman. However, you know, that might mean different things to different people. And we have different perspectives of what that looks like and what that feels like. So we wanted to create a space that builds upon itself for four weeks instead of just one large event that maybe we wouldn't be able to cover as much. Events in the Women Leader Series are still open for signups, and the month will culminate with three women on campus being awarded a Woman of Distinction Award. Haley said she's excited to have all the events happen and see a full series from start to finish. I'm very excited. I was actually on this project team um, in my sophomore year, so my first year as a student leadership consultant, and we'd planned, we'd marketed, and we were getting ready to have it happen. And then the pandemic hit and we never came back and we never really got to do the series in full. So I'm excited to have a second go of things um, in my senior year and to just see it through to the very end. Um, so while it's been a lot of work to get things together and there have been some challenges, it's all very worthwhile. And I'm just excited that we're able to still have this program be offered to students on campus. For WICB News, this was Caroline Grass, and I'm Emma Kirsting. With a massive regional and international crisis continuing to unfold in Ukraine, Ithaca College's Department of History recently organized an event to give students historical context to the event, information about its trajectory, and to share the experiences of students who live with this crisis as people who call Ukraine home. News director Hamadri Saith attended the event along with correspondent Noah Rand-Ressler and talked to some people involved. On Thursday, the 3rd of March, Ithaca College's Department of History organized an event available to individuals both in person and virtually over Zoom to discuss the crisis in Ukraine as Russia continues its invasion. The speakers at the event included Daria Karpenko, a junior film photography and visual arts student at IC from Ukraine, and Dr. Zenon Vasiliev, a history professor at IC and a specialist in Soviet, Ukrainian, and global history. Dr. Vasiliev started the event by talking about Ukrainian history in the context of Russia's involvement. So I'm going to focus more on Ukrainian history because that's one narrative that's been often ignored. One of the issues is Americans and others will say it's all about NATO or it's about the USSR and reconstructing the USSR. NATO did play a role, but really it's not about reconstructing the USSR. If you've been following Putin and his inner circle, it's about reconstructing a Russian empire 
from the 19th century. Those of you who had me in class, the foundation of the state was autocracy, orthodoxy, and nationality, and a lot of it is trying, is attempted to be brought back. And in the 19th century, late 19th century, this is when you had absolutism. Uh, Ukrainian was banned from being spoken or written. This is when you had the pogroms taking place, where some of you might be here because of that reason. So, just as a context, there is history very much at play. Reconstructing an imagined past that is very dangerous. Autocracy, you can just see the president of Russia sitting at big tables with the old Tsar's flag, only having a small circle of advisors back from his KGB days. And also there are people say he's the richest man in the world of $200 billion in wealth. Uh, I saw an interview with Tom Brokaw just the other day when the Soviet Union collapsed, and he said, I'm sorry that the USSR collapsed, but not because of any communist policy or socialist policy or progressive policy. He thought it was foolish. It was seen as a continuation of empire. Following Dr. Wasilev's focus on some of the historical context surrounding this issue was Daria Karpenko's emotive telling of her own present thoughts as someone who grew up in Ukraine and whose family and friends still reside there as the war continues. Hey, everybody. Um, I hope everyone... Um, wow, what a speech. I hope everyone can hear me on Zoom. Um, thank you so much, and thank you all for coming. It really means a lot. Um, my name is Daria. I'm 21 years old and I come from Ukraine. Um, I was born there and I lived there for 16 years of my life. And you know, like when this whole event was like happening and organizing, I, I thought of like, what am I going to talk about? Because I don't really know what to say. Cause who would have known like in the 21st century, it's something massive something so horrible can happen. Um, because for the past week, all I've been feeling is obviously pretty isolated, but for many reasons. And one of them is that I feel like even when I am gonna talk about my feelings and what's going on back home, I'm gonna be heard, but some of the information might not be like fully processed. I'm, I'm sure like most of you, I grew up like listening to World War II stories. Um, and it's a very big part of like, I guess, growing up in Ukraine, um, schools, summer camps, everything, everything is like so intertwined with World War II that in middle school, as a part of like volunteering hours, um, my classmates and I, we went to visit this lady, she was a veteran and she was all alone. We brought her food and she started telling us stories um, because she was all alone and because she didn't have anyone to like vent to about the terror that happened to her. She showed us pictures of her husband that never came back. And, um, you know, I, I remember when we left all we could think about is how grateful we are. We never have to experience, experience anything like that. I, I, I honestly don't know how to talk about war, but my grandma does. 
because it hit me yesterday that it's her second war. She er, she spent her early childhood watching Nazis bomb Ukraine, killing our people, torturing. And now she's going through it all over again. But the people who are fighting against us are the people who we fought back to back with, who we called brothers and sisters. She would always tell me uh, with tears in her eyes saying how grateful we all should be to veterans because, well, we can peacefully walk outside in the streets, live our lives, enjoy it. And I'm so sorry she has to go through it all over again. Um, stories, why, why would they matter? Um, there's this like article I came across by um, Harari, who's the author of the book *Sapiens*. If you know, um, it's the Guardian article, and he said that nations are built upon stories. Nowadays, everyone is a storyteller. We all go on Instagram, we post, Twitter, Reddit, um, you name it, TikTok, um, which has its benefits, right? Because now we're all this like big global community, and we share our experiences, like even through pandemic, it really helped us and united us. But on the other hand, it's just media gives so much power and it gives power to privilege or chosen ones. And it's been really, really hard going online and, and, and seeing all these stories. And I'm sure for all of you, but let's be honest as we, we watch it all happening online and then we just move on because we've seen enough. We've seen enough of these bloody pictures. We've seen enough of it and we just lose our feelings to it. It just becomes numb because every day we go and scroll on social media. And, and um, I, I don't know um, how we're going to give this like plat not even platform how are we going to give this ability to actual war victims to talk about their trauma and being heard without being questioned whether or not their stories are true because maybe they don't have these pictures to show um i you know i can't stop reading the news i'm i'm not there i know i shouldn't but i'm not there yet because i i just I can't put my phone away and know that my family's like and friends are like safe because I, I just want to keep checking. And while being on the phone, reading the news, I'm I've encountered so many videos and so many people sharing their own opinions about what's going on, which includes not only like Russian influencers talking, talking about how Russian soldiers are on a mission to save Ukrainian people from neo-Nazis and and that they're that they're not bombing civilians. Well, every day my family and friends see people die. <laughs> And I feel like this is the issue of the 21st century because, you know, how we can all care. 
because once again, social media kind of numbs it. And why would we even all care if it's just happening somewhere there? WICB News correspondent Noah Ron Dressler got a chance to talk to both the speakers at the event briefly after it ended. But basically, so what was like the inspiration behind um, having an event like this specifically for this this crisis? Well, uh, it's my area of specialization and just starting to talk. And so Jonathan Avlard suggested that we might meet with history students right here. And so I think I have to give credit to Jonathan who kind of started it going. And so from a small event in a friend's classroom, uh, it turned into a much larger event. Um, what do you see specifically students being able to do both now and in the future to, to prevent crises like these? Well, I think learning being aware, making certain that something like this doesn't happen here in terms of developing civil civic, civil society and, and civic action. Uh, I think also donating to uh, uh, support services, things, things of that, that nature, but learning. Uh, not enough people study history, speaking as a historian. Perfect. Um, yeah. So first of all, like, what was what was your thinking when um, when you were starting to plan this event and getting involved with this? I honestly, I feel like it was supposed to be like a small gathering, so I didn't really think of it much. But then it became quite like my brother was talking about it. My one of my professors, Professor Van Overs, um, photography <laughs> professor in Park, she mentioned it in class. And I realized that it became something bigger than just a history club gathering. And I feel like I spent so much time writing and really thinking of what I'm going to say that um, I just like end up going off script of what I planned. But yeah, I, I, I think I was just really thankful for the opportunity to speak and share in such a tough subject. Attendees at the event sat in a melancholic silence as the speakers presented some even tearing up as Daria shared her story. For Yak Awak, a senior film student who attended the event, the event was something that gave him more perspective on the conflict. Um, my experience of the event was that it was informative. I wanted to understand more about the situation with Ukraine and to sort of, you know, tell us a bit about the history of what's going on, the repercussions of it all, and, you know, to be able to ask questions so that we can understand more about it. I personally don't know too much about Ukraine, but I'd seen this movie by a Ukrainian filmmaker, Sergei Nornista or something, called Maiden. And I really liked it and, you know, I wanted to understand more about this situation there. Among the attendees was also Julius Oscar, a junior film student at IC from Thailand. The event moved Oscar, especially as someone with friends from both Ukraine and Russia on campus. As someone who usually avoids talking about politics, this is the first event which I really wanted to get involved and do more. I have both Ukrainian and Russian friends at this college, and they're some of the funniest, most supportive and kindest friends I've made here. I became really close with one and finally got to meet their family in person for the first time last semester. Their youngest brother would message me and call me all the time, whether it's to join him in playing games or just asking how I am despite the language barrier. And so I really grew to love them 
my friends and this family. And now there's a 10-year-old boy and his mother that I care about in the middle of all of this in Kyiv. Daria's speech and perspective during the presentation was so incredibly heartfelt, raw, and vulnerable. I can't even imagine what those that are really personally involved are feeling. I joined this event to further understand the situation in conflict. As much as I try to educate myself prior to the event, I feel it's definitely best to hear from those actually experiencing this tragic war. As an individual and as an outsider, I feel quite limited and recognize there's only so much we can do to help. But at the very least, even if we are not as personally affected as our Ukrainian and Russian students, we should be there to support them the best we can. If you missed the event and would like to watch it, it can be found on YouTube under the title The Russian Invasion of Ukraine, sponsored by Ithaca College Department of History and FLEF, hosted by Patricia Zimmerman. For WICB News, I'm Himadri Seed. With recent incidents of anti-Semitism on campus, something that Ithaca College has also witnessed in the past, correspondent Michael Memis, also a member of the Jewish community himself, talks to Hillel President Isaac Schneider and shares some bits of information about IC's Day of Learning event organized to address this issue. On February 8th, Ithaca College Public Safety emailed Ithaca College students about a report of a swastika. It was scratched on a poster inside a practice room in the Whalen Center for Music and came five days after one was found in Baker Walkway. I talked to Isaac Schneider, the president of Ithaca College Hillel, about these incidents as well as his experiences as a Jewish student at Ithaca College. Okay, so first, I guess, could you talk to me about what happened on the day that the swastika was found in the tuba and euphonium studio? So, um, it was last Tuesday. It was a Tuesday afternoon. I was heading down, actually, for some Hillel meetings, and I had a friend who's also in the Tuba Euphonium studio. He reached out and contacted me. He was practicing in this, in this space. It's a practice room designated just for Tuba, Euphonium, and bass students uh, due to the larger size of the room. Although it's not locked, he had said he had found two swastikas uh, pinpointed in into one of the posters that stu- uh, was on the room and has been in the room for a long time. So I went down real quick, grabbed the poster, especially already a bit on high alert since the Thursday before we had found that swastika in the dew in the Baker uh, walkway, which is, of course, connected to Whalen. I grabbed the poster, and, you know, I happened to have two Hillel meetings that night with different agendas, but we kind of just scrapped the agendas and talked about this and filed another police report, um which goes through Ithaca City Police Department as well as campus police, and then we also filed a biased report through the college. You said the person said it was there for a while. Uh, By a while, does it mean a couple hours, a couple days? Like, was it kind of hidden in the room? So I should say the poster this was drawn on has been in the room for about three Ah. years, um, unmarked. You know, nobody's ever noticed anything. Uh, Who's to say that it had been there for a day or maybe it had been done within the past hour? We don't really know, but this is the first time somebody had noticed it. It it was certainly within a few days, though. Okay, and I'm just curious, uh, are you the only Jewish person in the 2B Euphonium studio? Yes, yes. Okay. And I believe same for the base studio, but, you know, this this is a very specific space for these three groups. 
Got it, got it. Um, and it would only be probably music students who know about it. That's what I've, I've, you told me, I think. Correct. So the space isn't technically locked, as in anyone can access it, right? It's not like we have a swipe for a, for a key card. But there is um, really only online markings. So if you're not an active music student or somebody's in the practice room, there would be no outward indicator that this is a, a specific room that I would be in regularly or certain people would be. You mentioned the Baker walkway incident. Do you think there was some connection that the fact that it was connected to the music school and then obviously now it's happening in a specific room that you were at? Uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me that. I really, I really could not tell you. I have no idea. It could be, it could, it could be the same person or the same group of people. It could be somebody feeling like they wanted the attention or even kind of like they had the place to after the incident. It, I, I have no idea. Is this the first time something has this like this has happened to you at IC? So this is the first um, first time I've had a swastika kind of directly pointed at me or even seen one on campus, but it's not the first incident of anti-Semitism. Um, my first day of orientation my freshman year, even before the first day of classes, the first day of school, my first day of orientation, we were like sitting on one of the fields doing these identity wheels as one of the mandatory icebreakers. We had been split up into groups of like 10, each with an orientation leader. Um, and the first comment, one of the first comments someone made to me was about being baked in an oven. Um, and, you know, nobody in the group said anything. The orientation leader didn't say anything. We kind of just all awkwardly stared at each other and moved on. And there were other students in the group who came up to me and apologized after because they had no idea what to do. But but that really, <laughs> as my in my first day of orientation, kind of set me up a little bit nervously that even the orientation leader didn't say anything, just kind of laughed awkwardly and moved on. Yeah, and so this one was to right to your face, but I'm curious, uh, the anti-Semitism you faced during your time at college has been more to your face or more anonymously through maybe either when you weren't there or through some anonymous uh, social media account or something like that? I think it's definitely more on social media. You know, I I rarely see things manifest in person or at least hadn't seen things manifest in person until recently. There there is a layer of privacy in social media. You don't necessarily need to be using your own account. So I'd say it's definitely been more more based in social media than than anything else. Got it. And uh has your position of president of Halal led to increased attacks? I mean, it is also hard to say. I I th I think probably just I think if you're a visible Jewish student in general, you're you're going to be more susceptible and then as somebody who actively promotes Jewish events and, you know, works in the chapel frequently and kind of is always always talking about it and always connected in some way, I'm sure there's a correlation, but I think if you're you're visibly Jewish in any way, whether that's working for Hillel or or some other organization, or you talk about it a lot, I, I think any of those things can, can lead to increased comments or discussion or anything. How you've been treated as a Jewish person here, different from at home where you grew up in the Chicago area. So I grew up in North Chicago um, in a very, very Jewish area, you know, basically one of the most Jewish areas in the country. That was actually one of the reasons why my parents moved there. They never had ever stepped foot in Illinois before. Um, so I grew up 
facing anti-Semitism, yes, but in a different way than at college. And one of the reasons I came to Ithaca College was the Jewish community. You know, I, I wanted to be able to have a strong Jewish community, but also not have the same exact experience I had at home. So I think I was preparing myself for a little more anti-Semitism in general just by being honestly anywhere else in the world than, than my hometown. But I think what has continued to surprise me, or at least surprised me in my freshman year here, wasn't so much anti-Semitism, but was just like no exposure and ignorance. I mean, I had many people tell me that I was the first Jewish person they had ever met, and it wasn't malicious at all. You know, they were just they were just expressing that to me, and I, I guess I didn't realize that that was like the case for the majority of students, especially since we have such a high population coming from New York and New Jersey. I had assumed that there had been, you know, some exposure to Jewish communities, and I've just been surprised by that. And that's not necessarily a negative thing, just something I've noticed. And then, you know, after the incident, uh, and even the biker walkway, there was a ton of people sharing this, sharing Hillel's story, uh, and then obviously yours when you put out a statement. Uh, are you surprised with the support you received after? Yes, and, and, and in the best possible way. And it's not that I doubted people would take things seriously. I didn't think people would be so ready to fight for us. And I, and I was a little afraid that it would be dropped within like the 48 hour news cycle. So not only am I like humbled and overwhelmed by the amount of social media support, online support from students, staff, faculty, and the administration, um, I think that, you know, it's been less than a week, but the fact that people were still reaching out to me over the weekend, that has not been the same in regards to other anti-Semitic events. There, there is something different here, and I, I appreciate that, and it, it gives me and I think other people in the Jewish community a little bit of hope that it just wasn't, you know, done in by Friday morning. Do you think it's possibly due to, or any of the responses possibly due to it being such an obvious Jewish hate symbol, like a swastika, rather than something maybe more subtle or maybe something that could be disguised as something else? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that happens a lot just in general in terms of discrimination. This is unequivocally something you can't deny that was racist and anti-Semitic versus things that might have happened that, you know, myself and other Jewish people might felt was was wrong, but it's hard for somebody in the out group to see this. There, there, there's no denying it. You know, whatever the intent of it was, there is only one meaning of that symbol, um, especially as a targeted attack. So I do think that visibility is is definitely a factor in the outpouring of support we've got. But nonetheless, it is. I mean, I've just been flabbergasted and blown away. Now I did hear something. Uh, that you had stuff that happened at your recital last semester with, like, possible attacks. Could you just talk about that quickly? Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep this vague because other people were involved in the Got attack it. for their and for their privacy reasons. But um, at my junior recital last semester, which, you know, is a pretty integral part of being a music student and being a music education student in general at this school, 48 hours beforehand, I had found that all 55 of the recital posters I had put up in the school of music, like 53 out of five, 55 of them had been tagged and marked up in some very disturbing way. So I think for me personally, this, this attack 
this past week just speaks a l- just get hits a little closer to home. It's not just the Baker Hallway incident for me. It's not just this happening in a practice room. It's those two swast or those three swastikas found in two separate incidents in the past week, plus still kind of the shadow of the direct target before one of the biggest moments of my college career last semester. So it's really the combination that I think is scarier rather than than one thing. This Monday, Ithaca College Hillel held a day of learning for the campus community from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. It featured speakers from the IC community, IC Hillel, Cornell, and more. Over 300 people filled up Emerson Suites. Correspondent Jay Bradley was able to record Anti-Semitism 101, which was led by Aviva Snyder, the campus support director at Hillel International. Um, these are some of the anti-Semitic stereotypes we see. We're going to come back to this, so I just want to give you a minute to look at it. Um, they inside the murder of God, that goes back thousands of years, um, where there's a belief that the Jews were responsible for killing Jesus. Um, and linked to that in the, in the um, in many millennia, there is this concept of a blood Bible that Jews use um, the blood of children for things like making matzah. Um, there's, and then these are less, these are more like widespread and um, disparate, which is like the loyalty that you can't, you, if you're Jewish, you have an alliance to the state of Israel, you have an alliance to your Jews and not to the country you live in. Um, the Jews are greedy. Um, that comes from many millennia of Jews not being allowed to hold certain types of jobs and we were forced into certain kinds of um, you know, less um, savory in that in that context, in that culture, um, community where you know you would be a money lender or you know, like essentially what we would call a loan shark today. That was the only thing that we could do as Jews. This seemed to be a step in the right direction, but as Isaac acknowledged to me, it is an uphill battle. For WICB News, I'm Michael Memes. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager, Connor Hibbard, and programming director, Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director, Himandri Saith, with assistance from news managing director, Jordan Brooking, news production director, Beck Legato, and social media web coordinators, Emma Kirsting and Inaba Eberesson. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dunviff, Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. For WICB News, I'm Christian Matry.